Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Mike Catino is our very special guest. Mike, as many of you know, is the, the publisher of Long Island Nightlife and New York Nightlife and Nightlife Magazine, which has just been a, a, a legendary source for so many uh, things, entertainment on Long Island for so many years. Uh, get a little bit of his history here. And also, Interesting story about Mike Bublé and uh, Michael Bublé, uh, uh, you know, probably uh, before he was he was super well known. Uh, you know, Mike had uh, had a beat on him and so many other people, Chris Angel and uh, so many folks that came in through Long Island and, and who didn't people all over the world. Long Island nightlife has been an absolute uh, harbinger of things to come, and and what a pleasure it is to talk to my friend, Mike Cutino. Mike, how are you? Frank, I am great, and I want to thank you for uh, putting me on your show. Uh, I want to also congratulate you on all your awards that you've been getting. I don't know where you're going to put them all in your house, but you're doing a, a tremendous job out there, and the Long Islanders, every time I go to an event, they all love you. You know, so, listen, same right back at you. Thank you very much for that. But uh, right back at you. And uh, the, the, the name, uh, Mike Coutinho, uh, and when you, when you mention that to so many people, uh, they have stories. And everybody's got a story. Oh, Mike Coutinho, I knew him. And we had this. And this happened. And this star happened and whatever. Let, let's do a little bit of your history, if you don't mind. And, and let's start from sure. the beginning. Uh, where were you born? Where were you raised? Uh, I was born in Queens, New York. I was raised in New York. Then, uh, then I went on to my my grandparents' farm in Selden, and my parents lived in uh, Nassau County, Belmore. And then, when I was a little kid from Belmore, I moved to uh, Suffolk County, and uh, I was in Suffolk County all my life, most of my life. And uh, big- I went to Farmingdale College. I wrestled for Mapham. I wrestled for Farmingdale. Then I was in karate for all these years, and it was a long, you know, a long life, a good life. You know, I, I helped a lot of people in, uh, with Nightlife Magazine. As a matter of fact, I remember the day you came into my office, and you said, hey, Mike, I got this guy, Chris Angel. You should do a story on him. You remember? Yeah, well, yeah. And you were the guy who brought Chris Angel. Yeah, you, you did a great job, a great job. But anyway, let's get back to Michael Bublé. Um, you know, when Nightlife Magazine, all the stars and celebrities that you see, um, and came, came to me one time or another, I put them in the magazine, I met them and, uh, Madonna, Michael Bublé, but Michael Bublé was a guy that I I, like fell in love with. Uh, his tape came to my office and uh, we're going back into 1989 and, uh, I looked at his tape and I said boy this kid has talent I'm telling you and I used to get about maybe a hundred tapes 
uh, a week because people wanted me to do stories on them. And I, you know, I did stories on you, you, you name it, Joan Jett, it, Barbara Streisand, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. But Michael, it, it touched my heart. So I said, you know something? This kid's going to be famous. And uh, I had my editor call his manager, and uh, they flew in from Vancouver, and they came to my office, and they had really no place to stay. And they came into my office with really no money. Michael had no money at all on him. And uh, his manager uh, told me about him, and he looked at me. He was 19 years old, and I said, boy, this kid is going to be it. He needs help, and I can do it for him. So I called up my friend, uh, Stu Wiener. I don't know if you remember Stu Wiener. He used to uh, be the manager of Danfords. Oh, yeah, sure. So believe it or not, Michael Bublé stayed at Danfords, gave him a room. Stu gave him a room on cop for one week so he can uh, go back and forth to New York City to all the appointments that uh, he had. And uh, I, I let Michael, when he came to my office, the first thing I said to him, I interviewed him, and I said, listen, I want you to write me a wish list. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I want to know, Michael, the things that you want to do accomplished in your lifetime. Give me 10 things on this list. He wrote me a list, okay? The next day, he came to my office. He was sitting at the door. I opened up the office door. My secretary was there. And I brought him to the office. He says, here, here, here's my wish list. And on his wish list, he had 10 events. And I said, I could put eight of those things together for you. No problem. The other two, you have to do by yourself. And one of them was, he wanted his Michael Bublé name to be known all around the world. You got that? Yeah. And then the other thing is, he wanted to be in a big record company. And I said, well, that's the two things that I can't do for you. But the other things I could do for you. He wanted to go to a, a Ranger and Islander game. I took him to the Nassau Coliseum. I took him downstairs, you know, to meet the players because I own New York Sports Magazine. Bobby Nystrom got him in there. Hmm. And uh, he wanted to be on the cover of a magazine. So I said, no problem. I can do that because I own the magazines. And things like that. Well, one of his wishes... Okay, he wanted to go to an advertising agency in New York City. And uh, I said, okay, no problem with that. Because I used to do all the, uh, the interviews, okay, for the agencies. Because if they bring in, you know, I have this, this guy I want you to do. I want you to do a, a story on uh, this rock group. It was, uh, you know, Blondie, right? Yeah. Who went into heart. So I, I did him a favor. I did a, I, did, I put a cover on Blondie, Debbie Harris. And uh, I took him to the agency. The guy's name was Steve. And uh, we went into the agency, and uh, I, I showed Michael, the, uh, showed the guy the tape. The guy looked at the tape, and it was me, Steve Pally, who passed away, his manager, Michael's manager at the time. And uh, the guy comes out, puts me on the side. He says, hey, Mike, this guy's not going to he's not going to make it. You're wasting your time with him. Do something else. I said, you are crazy. This guy is going to make it. 
So he went away, and then Michael Bublé comes up to me because he says he saw me talking to the guy. He said, Mike, how, did the guy like me? How, what did he talk about my tape? So this is the first lie I ever told Michael Bublé. I said, Michael, he said that you are outstanding. You're going to be a star. You are going to, you're going to be famous. You're going to be everything you're going to do. He said, well, how's he going to help me? He said, I said, well, he's going to get back to me. That was the lie. I didn't want to discourage this kid. But this jerk that didn't know his business, that put this kid down and said that he wasn't going to make it. Now, these guys in the record company are in charge of making people successful. You know, you got to hit them at the right time. It's like who you know contacts. Well, I was furious inside, and I, and, and I was building up, building up, building up. So I, when I went back to my office, I called an editorial staff meeting. I said, who's on the cover for the next issue? Now, this was going back in, I think, in September. We'll do a December issue. They said, Barbara Streisand's on the cover. She's coming out with a Christmas album. I said, now, I had two magazines. I had Chicago Nightlife and New York Nightlife. I said, take her off the cover. I want Michael Bublé on the cover. Who? Michael Bublé on the cover. Who's he? I said, he's going to be the biggest star in the United States and in the world. They said, you sure? I said, I'm telling you to do it, do it now. We shot Michael because Michael wanted to be a hockey player. Mm. And, and, and he loved to play hockey. He loved to ice skate. He had his teeth knocked out and playing hockey. So uh, we put him on the cover in a tuxedo with hockey skates on, you know, roller skates with a hockey stick. And uh, the magazine came out in New York. I probably sold less copies than I ever did because nobody knew them. Right. But, you know, I reached 2 million people, so a lot of people were starting to get to them. And uh, that was the first cover in the United States. That was one of was on his wish list, too. He wanted to be on the cover of a magazine. Then it, it, it started getting a, a little hairy for him because, you know, being, you know, starting in the business, again, you know, you're flying back and forth. You're doing all these gigs to make money, you know. He, he did the China Club. He did, you know, a couple of clubs in the Hamptons. And uh, Hey, Mike, keep your thought yeah. one second. This is fascinating. Frank McKay here with Mike Catino talking about Michael Buble. And uh, before anyone knew Michael Buble, and uh, very uh, very few people probably know this story, um, thrilled to, uh, to have him. We're going to take a quick break. Frank McKay here with the publisher and the founder of Nightlife Magazine and Long Island Nightlife and New York Nightlife and just a, a man who's had a legendary career and Mike Cotino. Uh, Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Mike Cotino. We'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's breaking it down. 
so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Let me welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Mike Catino is the publisher and founder of Nightlife Magazine and Long Island Nightlife, New York Nightlife. And talking about uh, Mike, Michael Bublé and uh, the, the start of his career and where it has some Long Island roots and, and, and big time here. And a lot of people didn't know uh, who this man was, young man was. And, uh, you know, they certainly did. Uh, they certainly do now. And he's had uh, a legendary career, Buble. And, uh, you know, I could understand some people not getting it because he wasn't doing traditional stuff. He wasn't doing rock. He wasn't doing whatever. But this was uh, this was different. Mike Catino had um, had him pegged from the start as being a huge, uh, huge star. Uh, Mike Catino, welcome back. Hey, I am, Frank. Well, we were, we were talking right before we broke uh, about uh, the cover. You gave him uh, basically his first big cover. I don't know if he yep. had a cover anywhere. I guess he didn't have a cover anywhere. So nope. you gave him his, Michael Buble his first cover. Um, he's from Canada. And he, he gave him a hockey stick and, and some some uh, roller skates to kind of tie it in there. And, and you said it was probably the least selling uh, issue of, of all time at the, <laughs> that point. Yeah, and, well. Yeah, at that we, point you were reaching two million people. Uh, and please continue. Where, uh, where where did it go from there? Where did Buble's well, career go? Well, what happened was is uh, I was uh, doing a lot of things with Madonna, right? And uh, we were doing promotional parties like the, I don't know if you remember, Uncle Sam's in New York, uh, Long Island. And we I did the Madonna. And then I was friends with, I started getting close with Madonna. And uh, we used to clean, uh, you know, talk around what we're going to be in life. We'll be successful. I want to be a successful publisher. She wanted to be a successful singer. So I said, you know what, we, we will. Between both of us, I don't think we had money to buy a pizza pie. <laughs> but anyway, this is what we started out with. And uh, she became a very, you know, friend of mine. And uh, she helped me a lot. She was on my cover four times. Madonna was on my cover four times. Amazing. And the funny thing about her is her uh, her agent that took care of her was from Warner Brothers. Her name was Lisa Rosenberg. And... Uh, and I, I called up Lisa one day, and I said, Lisa, I got this guy, Michael Bublé, blah, 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 blah. And uh, when, when in one ear, we're out the other. But anyway, this story gets really, really interesting because Michael now is starting to get an exposure, okay? Uh, I made him known in the United States, that's for sure. And a lot of record companies and people got my magazine all over, especially in California. I had a lot of big celebrities on my mailing list and had a lot of the big executives from all the record companies on my mailing list. So they was getting my magazines. And then I came out with my TV show, uh, Nightlife Television, which I put together. Malcolm Forbes introduced me to Carl Icahn with Elizabeth Taylor. And uh, Carl Icahn made a deal with me where I can... uh, use his travel channel all i have to do is supply him the uh the content which was my own my own tv show so michael is now doing a uh, a wedding now this is the story i heard and paul Iker was at the wedding so paul Iker heard him sing and uh 
Then Paul Anka called his buddy at Warner Brothers, and then Warner Brothers came in, heard him sing, and Warner Brothers signed him up. And it sort of even gets better. The guy, the girl who took care of him, right, that Warner Brothers assigned to be his agent, right, was Lisa Rosenberg, who took care of Madonna and Michael Bublé. Mm. Isn't that ironic? Amazing. Then she, yeah. did, then I heard that she dropped Madonna for Michael. Good, smart move. Oh, yeah. Smart move. And now look at him. I mean, uh, he calls me Uncle Mike. I remember all the times he called me up, Uncle Mike, I don't feel good. I miss my, I miss being back home. I said, where are you? He might be in Australia or Japan doing a show. I used to say, Michael, take a look at, take a look at the sky. You see the moon out there? I said, I'm looking at the same moon. Okay, I'm looking at you. If you need anything, give me a call. And uh, he, used to, he used to always call me, okay? When he was in New York City, he was by himself. He was shooting, uh, he was doing a radio show, all right? And he was at Central Park. He, he, he called me up, he says, hi, Uncle Mike. I says, what are you doing? He said, ah, I'm doing nothing. I'm by myself, I'm in Central Park. I'm eating an apple while I'm sitting on a rock. I said, Michael, you want me to come down here? We'll have breakfast together. No, he says, you, I got my radio show that I have to get interviewed at uh, 11 o'clock. It's going to take you too long. I said, okay. I said, if you need me, give me a call. The guy has roots. He has good roots. He loves his family. He loves his family that he has now, okay? He always wanted a wife, kids. We used to come over to my house, used to play with my kids, talk to my kids. Very, very social, very funny. I mean, Michael is a gem. You're going to see a lot of entertainments out there. He is the real deal. Hey, keep your thought. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, if you're just joining us or if you're just turning on your radio, Mike Cotino is our very special guest. And we've got a couple more moments with him. Um, and and we, need a, we need a part two, part three, part four with Mike and, uh, and just to get a little bit of the history of of Long Island Nightlife, New York Nightlife, and Nightlife Magazine, which has uh, just uh, had a legendary career. And Mike has uh, also in publishing it and creating these uh, these great entities. Talking about Michael Bublé here, and a couple minutes left with you, Mike. Uh, let me ask you, what is it in Bublé uh, that you saw, and for that matter, uh, Madonna, right? I mean, is there a, is there a star quality that people like this have? Is there a common thread that you see that uh, that make them uh, successful? Is it ambition? Is it talent? Is it a combination? Uh, can you uh, it, can you find a common thread? Yes. The people that I saw, okay, when they tried to be a star, they tried. But Michael, and like Michael, Madonna, I, I, I saw things in them, okay, where they get really involved in the music. Their mind goes right into the music. I showed you Michael's uh, tape, right? This guy, he, his emotions, like Elvis Presley gets really involved in it. He reminded me of Elvis Presley. He got really involved in 
his singing emotionally and that was the thing that sold me i i i told everybody in my firehouse this constant department you know I, i'm in the nest fire department i i told everybody about him they looked at me and i said look at him he's on tv now this guy's going to be a star and you know what they listened to me and they all know that michael buble okay was well he he didn't go in the firehouse but he was in the fire parking lot i took him around so many places on long island to delis to to breakfast to, to eat and stuff like that i made sure he had clothes his manager gave me nobody knows this but michael's first contract to be a manager was written out to me hmm. and he wanted me to be his manager and i declined it because i said michael I can only take you up so far. You have to do the rest yourself. I'm not networking in the record business, okay? You got to get somebody that knows something, that knows the business. It's not me. I love you like a son. He calls me Uncle Mike. And I said, you know what? I have to turn it down. You need somebody that can take you. I can't do it for you. And I also mentioned to him that the manager that he has can't do it either. And uh, when Warner Brothers came into the picture, they got rid of her. They bought her out. Okay. And uh, they bought her out for some of money. Uh, I know them some, but I'm not going to tell it. But uh, they took they took Michael, and look how, how big he is now. As a matter of fact, when he played at Nassau Coliseum, all right, uh, I got there late, but when he got to the Coliseum, he always mentions my name in front of the audience that I was the guy that helped him. And the funny thing about it is when I took Michael to see the Ranger in the Islander game at Nassau Coliseum, I had him st stand up, all right? And I said, stand up, Michael. I said, I want you to stand up and turn around. And he did. I said, someday you're going to be playing in this Coliseum and you're going to be sold out. You know, he said, what? Uncle Mike, your words to God's ears. And guess what? It happened. Amazing. He sells out yeah. no matter where he is. I took him to Westbury. He sold out of Westbury, you know, a long time ago. That was what, that was really one of his first concerts on Long Island. Was Westbury Music Hall. You know, listen. This is uh, th this is the kind of story that people should know more about. I, we 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 got a lot to talk about, and this is just like one of them. Hopefully, we can get you on uh, more regularly. Uh, Mike Catino, uh, just amazing, and so many people don't uh, realize the the uh, you know because he's from Canada and everything else. Oh, Vancouver. Yeah, Every, I get backstage passes. I sit next to his was well, grandfather when he was alive. Well, sister. keep your thought, keep your thought, because we're uh, we're we're out of time here. But uh, Mike Catino, just an amazing career that you had. Uh, you helped launch others, uh, and with their career. Oh but, yeah, John Jet, you know Pat Benatar. Yeah, I mean everything. I, I, you know. I mean, I could go on and on and on. You, you know, if you ever come down to my pizzeria. Uh, Route 112 in Method, Big Italy, right? You'll see all the celebrities on the wall that I helped. 
It's a great place to go. Big Italy. I'm gonna uh, I'm I'm gonna head there tonight, and uh, and and check it out. And everyone else should as well. Frank McKay here. Mike, thanks a million. Congratulations on all your success. We'll see you at Big Italy, and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Just congratulations on on your success and the other people that you've helped uh, reach their success. Uh, just a, a great story. Wonderful guy, Mike Catino. Thanks for being here. Frank, anytime. I know you and I will always bump into each other somewhere. We're always seeing each other. And I want to wish you success, too, because you are skyrocketing into the top. And what you have done to Long Island, you know, you can't judge it by dollars. It's by feelings. And you made everybody listen to your your show. I, I, I know I'm a big listener. Mike Catino, thrilled to have you. Uh, and to everyone out there, Mike Catino has been our very special guest. We're talking Mike Buble and the sex, uh, success that has come through Long Island. Um, and uh, our special guest, Mike Catino, is the publisher, founder of Long Island Nightlife, Nightlife, and New York Nightlife Magazine, so many other things. Frank McKay signing off. Mike Catino has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with uh, someone uh, I've never interviewed before. And if you think about it, a lot of folks have won Oscars. A lot of people have won Super Bowls and World Series. But uh, very few people have seen the the world we live in from out of space and uh and i'll tell you what since he was six or seven years old when he saw the moon landing he had that dream to be an astronaut and what a a career this man has put together uh he also wrote about it and uh, everyone must get this book i've already ordered a copy of it for uh for some middle schoolers that i know it's called spaceman the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut. And Mike Massimino is my very special guest. Thrilled to have you, Mike. How are you? Oh, Frank, I'm doing great. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, listen, thrilled to have you. I, if, it, I, I'm just assuming when you see the world like no, you know, no one else has seen it or so few people have seen it, it's got to be an emotional moment, I, I would think, right? You have to look at it and say, wow, either, you know, here I am doing this incredible thing or, wow, we're so small in the big scheme of things. Did did you have an emotional experience when you first saw the world from space? Yeah, I, I sure did, Frank. Um, and, um, you know, for part of the emotion was finally getting there. It's something, I, as you said, I wanted to do since I was a little kid and it took me uh, quite a while to get there. Um, I applied four times before NASA accepted me. I kept getting rejected. So when you finally you finally get accepted into the program and you get a flight and you end up in space and you you look back at the planet, it it makes it all worthwhile. And it really is a it is an emotional experience. But I did not think we looked small at all. <laughs> right? You know, I think looking at our planet, uh, and not small from I mean the size of our planet maybe compared to the rest of the universe, but. Certainly, I think we we live on such a beautiful planet, and it looks like a paradise when you see it from space. I think our planet was really meant to be seen from space. We can see a lot of its beauty, of course, on Earth. Um, but when you get to space and you can look down and see the whole place, you, you see it. I think in its in its real beauty, and it is just it is just a paradise. I feel like I was looking into heaven 
I can't imagine any place being more beautiful. So I don't think we're insignificant or small at all. In fact, I think we, uh, I think we have the nicest place to live in the whole universe. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, my wife and I have four kids, and uh, I, I appreciate mm. you writing this book because I, I think somewhere in in the midst of everything going, forget about what we're going through now. Obviously, that's uh, that that's uh, on everyone's mind, but somehow the space program is uh, is an afterthought to some people, and and maybe shows you know like the Big Bang Theory, you know, which you were on, right? You were on that mm-hmm. show, and yeah. different shows like that where they they uh, celebrate folks that are into math and science and they uh, and and they make it light and they make it fun but you also show smart people at work I, I think your book is important and I, I think maybe it can encourage some young folks to take the route that you took well I mean I, I hope so or whatever route they want to take I, the, the book um, that uh, you know that just came out a couple of weeks ago it's an adaptation of my uh, of my first book the spaceman book which was really more for adults and did well as a New York Times bestseller, but we, we thought a lot of the stories, kids did read that book, um, but we thought a lot of the stories could be a little better translated for a younger group for ages nine and above, and that's what we did, and I added a bunch of stories uh, to those stories, so it really is a rewrite with a lot of new stuff for, for this uh, for the young reader adaptation, and I, I think it's, you know, if, people, if kids are interested in becoming astronauts, that's great, but if they want to do other things, I think that that's great too and that uh, really what I hope the message in the book is to try to find out what it is that you like what you're passionate about as a, as a young person if you can and then pursue it and get ready to be rejected plenty of times and to hit snags and and to have difficulty in school like I did and be told no a lot like like I was and just keep going um, each you know successful people no matter what they what they are if they're uh, astronauts or business people or sports uh, athletes, uh, musicians or radio show hosts, you know, they didn't become successful because they uh, never failed. They, they became successful because they never let failure stop them. So that's what I think some of the messaging is. I hope it comes at a, as a help at a tough time. Uh, it is uh, intended to be inspirational and hopeful and, and uh, hopefully will we'll help some, uh, some young people that, uh, on their path wherever that may be. Well, everyone should order Spaceman, the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut. Uh, terrific lessons in there. Uh, Mike, I know a lot of folks are waiting to uh, to talk to you, but uh, just uh, you know, we got a minute or two left with you. Yeah. Let, let me let, let me ask you if you think there'll ever be a time where the NASA and and the folks uh, that are in your field are ever front and center the way they were when we were doing the the moon landings and it might we might not live to see it but somewhere along the line i have to believe that it's going to be front and center once again the same way it was in in 69 and 73 and i when do you think that's uh, going to be i don't know frank and uh, i don't know if that's ever going to happen again I, I i think with the and i think that that's okay though i i think that we're doing great things in in the space program we have people in space right now. My friend Chris Cassidy is in space right now. <clears throat> so we, we have pe- we've had people on the space station for it's going to we're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of constantly having an American in space. We've changed them out over every six months or so, but uh, we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope launch. I was on b- both of my missions were to Hubble, so we have accomplished great things, and we still are even today. We're g- and then we're coming up with a with the plan for a launch on a SpaceX vehicle from Florida to send some of my friends up to the space station. We haven't launched astronauts from Florida since 
2011. It's been almost nine years. For the past almost nine years, it's been launching our astronauts uh, from, from Russia. And now we're going to be launching from the United States again relatively soon. So there's a lot of great things coming. But I think it's okay that nothing matches Apollo 11. I really do. I think that that is the greatest event possibly in the history of, of, of humankind. And it's going to be hard to top. And I don't think we should use that as, well, we have to top this. No, you're never going to top that. It's going to take 500 years for something to top that. I don't know what that would be. I think only something like the discovery of alien life somewhere, uh, somewhere else in the universe will, will be close to that. But I think that that's okay. I think that we're still doing lots of great things with the space program that are very exciting, very meaningful, uh, building on what they did back in the Apollo days. Um, but well, I don't think we're, I don't think we're ever going to top that. I, and I think that that's okay. Yeah, well, listen, uh, well put. I, I want to uh, congratulate you on all of your success. By the way, the, the Hubble telescope has been nothing but a success after success. Uh, it, it has to be looked at very positively from, uh, from start to finish from you guys. Uh, am I right in saying that? Oh, absolutely. I think it's the greatest scientific instrument ever built. And it certainly is uh, a great success. But even there, I mean, it's, it's a story there for the kids and for everybody else when Hubble was delayed for many years. Uh, it, it was an accident with the space shuttle that delayed it a few more years after it was just about ready to launch. And then it got to space and couldn't see very well. <laughs> so it had a, the first uh, mission to service it, <coughs> corrected the optics. So out of, you know, of all the money went into it, it still had its trouble. But we were able to, to, uh, to fix that problem, and now it's, it's been a wonderful scientific instrument. Uh, unlocking a lot of the secrets of the universe and showing us the beauty of the universe. So, yeah, everyone, uh, it was great to be a part of it. Everyone, everyone as part of that team has done a great job to keep the telescope going. And you don't have to be an astronomer to appreciate it. You just look at those beautiful images and, and it makes you wonder about what's what's out there. Amazing work by you and everyone else. Uh, can you give us a website or a social media site where people could follow along and also the best place yeah. to get the book? Yeah, certainly. Um, the uh, my uh, my uh, website is a good place. It's uh, mikemassimino dot com. You can also follow me on Instagram at astro mike massimino. Twitter is astro underscore mike, and I also have a Facebook page, Mike Massimino. And any one of those places will bring you to the book, but probably the website is the best place. Not bad for a kid from Long Island. Uh, congratulations, Mike, on every uh, everything that's that's gone right and uh, just wonderful job. Thank you very much, and congrats on the book. Thanks, Frank. I sure appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on, and hello to everybody out there. Uh, stay stay healthy. Astronaut and best selling author, best selling author Mike Massimino has been our very special guest. His latest is the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut spaceman it's called and uh please uh, get the book long islander uh, born and bred and you know proud to have guys like this getting uh, getting to to the top he he went to columbia one of the eight ivy league schools and he did his master's work his graduate work at mit and he still got turned down by NASA three or four times before he was accepted in it, you know, just to give you some indication of, of how competitive it is to become an astronaut. And when I think of these guys, I always think of the elite, you know, uh, you know clean cut, everything's just checked out. And, uh, you know, like the FBI agents, uh, the CIA agents, I, you know, I always think of those guys as being uh, vetted to the to the max but certainly astronauts the same thing it's so difficult 
for for these guys to get to where they are. And like I said, a lot of guys win Super Bowls. A lot of guys uh, win, and a lot of folks uh, win Oscars. And and still, that's a very small percentage. What percentage of the population gets to see the world, gets to see the Earth from a uh, from the point view uh, point of view from space? Mike Massimino is one of those folks. And again. His uh, his book's a bestseller, and the adaptation of that to to younger folks is Spaceman, the true story of a young boy's journey to becoming an astronaut, is his latest. Frank McKay signing off. Mike Massimino has been our very special guest. You saw him on on uh, Big Bang Theory, and you saw him, uh, you know, all over uh, the the late night shows and and talk shows everywhere. Letterman did a great job on Letterman. Mike Massimino has been our very special guest. Uh, best everyone out there, and we'll see you next time on Fifty Two Players. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a wonderful author, biographer, historian. I've admired his work for so long. Uh, Just uh, wonderful. Uh, Let's Go Down the Cavern. Uh, is is a, a legendary book and just a classic. And his latest, his latest is Bob Dylan Outlaw Blues. It is a must get. Everyone has to get this book. And and uh, whether you're a Dylan fan or not, uh, just a, a study of a human being that is. Uh, he, I, I think he's so uh, complicated and mercurial. Uh, Dylan, speaking of him, but uh, again, Spencer, you've heard uh, Spencer Lee all over. Uh, BBC and the Merseyside um, it has been his beat so to speak for over 40 years and, and longer than that but Spencer Lee how are you? Oh fine thank you I must employ you as my PR consultant that's <laughs> wonderful thank you. <laughs> well listen well deserved I mean you're I, whenever I see anything with you, I, I immediately stop what I'm doing and I and I, I watch and I, I, I pay attention. I, I think you've uh, you oh. put so much passion into your work, and the, the Dylan book is no exception. It's just incredible, and uh, I, I, you've got to be very excited that that it's done at this point. It's probably a, a, a pretty intensive. Uh, um, set of interviews. Well, indeed. I mean, the, the, the book is 350,000 words, so it's, 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 it's a long book. <laughs> I was very, very pleased to, to finish it, you know, because uh, I wanted to cover all aspects of his career. And over the years, you, you mentioned that I, I'm on BBC Radio Merseyside, and over the years, I've interviewed lots and lots of performers and songwriters as they've come into Liverpool. And I've often asked them about Bob Dylan. So when I started doing the book and thinking about it, I went through all my old interviews and found lots of great quotes about Bob Dylan, uh, you know, from people like Joan Byers and Judy Collins. And I put them in some sort of order. And then I, you know, looked at Dylan's career and and formed the book from that. How do you view Dylan now? as compared to how you used to see him before you started the book? Oh, well, uh, I mean, I, I've grown up with Bob Dylan, as it were. I was born in 1945, and so I was just the right sort of age when he was touring here in 1965 and 1966. So I saw him do an acoustic performance, which is still one of the greatest nights of my life at the Odeon in Liverpool in 1965. Yeah. Absolutely chilling to watch. I mean, all these wonderful songs. And in those days, 
people didn't just perform the songs they'd recorded. They performed songs that they were about to record or would be putting out shortly um, because people weren't taping them and couldn't put them on the internet or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I heard Desolation Road for the first time in concert, which was a 12-minute song, and that, that just absolutely blew me away that somebody could write a song like that with that extraordinary line that they're selling postcards with a hanging, and that's just the opening line, and the rest of it is even more <laughs> mysterious. And then the, the following year, he came over with the group that, that is now known as The Band, and uh, this was a famous Judas tour, and I saw it in Liverpool, and when I saw it, there were people walking out um, that they couldn't stand the fact that Dylan was doing rock music, and I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to say uh, that I was on my feet cheering at the end. But, uh, I mean, it was a rocky ride for him. And that, but, of course, he, he was doing what he wanted to do. I, I think he liked winding the audience up a bit. And I can remember him saying uh, to one guy who was heckling, there's a guy up there looking, looking for a saint, and if he don't shut up, he's going to need one. <laughs> What a line. Leave it to a poet to come up with a line like that for a heckler. I, a, amazing individual, though. I, Dylan, I, most of us evolve, or we I, we all evolve in some ways. It, in some ways, I, I don't see Dylan, from my standpoint, I don't see Dylan as necessarily evolving, but it, completely changing and transforming himself. Uh, do you, and you, again, I'll consider you the expert on, on him at this point. Uh, the book is great. Do you consider him uh, just a work in progress that was always going on, or what do you think of something much different that he he just got bored with himself and he just I, changed? I, I think I think he's been someone who has always been evolving, always wanting to do something new, and even now, I mean, the, the new album that he that he has out is quite extraordinary. Uh, I mean, he's pretty well lost his singing voice now but he's managing to do it in a way that is sort of half-spoken and half-narrated. And for the sort of songs he's writing, I think it fits very well. And, I mean, it was only this year, believe it or not, that Dylan had his first number one single in America with Murder Most Foul. And, I mean, I think, I think that's a great song, and it mentions the Kennedys and all sorts of things, very mysterious song. And I think he's someone who just didn't want to do... He didn't want to be a sort of oldies act doing his old hits over and over. So that when you go to see Dylan, he doesn't do it in the way that he used to do them, which I know annoys a lot of people, uh, that some people want to see someone almost like a jukebox doing, the, doing their early hits exactly as they did them. But you will, you'd never get that with Bob Dylan. And, of course, because his voice has, has gone pretty much in the last few years, uh, he, he'll never be able to do that. But I, I think he's always interesting, and I think he's an incredible bloke. And uh, I, I found that he says far more, it depends on the night, but quite often he talks quite a lot on stage. And some of his comments in between the songs I found quite revealing. Spencer, who are his friends? Who, who are his either long-term friends or who are his close friends at this point? Yeah, well, this is it. I mean... Bob Dylan is often said to be a recluse, uh, and I thought, well, nobody who does 100 shows a year is a recluse. He's on the road, he's meeting people and the like, but I do think he works in a kind of Bob Dylan bubble, and that uh, there are people that he gets on well with, 
I mean, Van Morrison's one of those. Um, there are people that he gets on well with, and there are people that he falls out with. And throughout his career, there have been people that he falls out with. And his career with Joan Byers, for example, who really is a very close friend of his, has been very much up and down. And I think that if you read the book, you'll find out from time to time he's been quite cruel. And I think, I think a good example of that is he could have encouraged her songwriting because he actually is a very good songwriter. But I think her proximity to Bob Dylan held her back for, for quite a long time. But there are great stories about Bob Dylan on the road. I mean, when he came to Liverpool uh, about 15 years ago, he came into Liverpool early and he wanted to see John Lennon's childhood home, which is now a National Trust property, and you can go round it. Now, you'd think that he would have a special trip to go round it as Bob Dylan. But no, he goes to the office and buys a ticket and gets on the bus to go to wow. Bob Dylan's home. Wow. And uh, so, so he just came in like a member of the public. And the guy who was the custodian of, the, of John Lennon's home said that when they went upstairs and they went into John Lennon's childhood bedroom, Bob Dylan's first comment was, this is as cold as Hibbing. Wow. Just wow. I, 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 honestly, I'm never... I'm never surprised by uh, by anything I hear about Dylan, but I, I've got to congratulate you because Outlaw Blues is uh, is just terrific, and you uh, you have written the I think the quintessential biography as you always do, Spencer. Uh, thrilled to have you here, and and not only congratulations on this book, but congratulations on an amazing career still going strong. Can you give us a website or a social media site where people could follow along with what you're doing? Um, well, I've, I've got a, a website, just a normal sort of spencerlee.co.uk, you know, the standard site. If people put my name in Google, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll find me easily enough. And the book is on Amazon and, and hopefully in quite a lot of the uh, American shops, although obviously stuck here in Liverpool, I'm not able to check that out. All in right. fact, I can't even check out the Liverpool shops at the moment <laughs> as we're in lockdown. Yeah, well, listen, stay safe. I wish I had you for a longer time, Spencer. I could uh, I could listen to you all day. Thank you very much for being here, and congratulations on the book oh, once thank, again. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Spencer Lee, everyone. His name is spelled L-E-I-G-H, and he, uh, he, you know, he's, to me, he was the quintessential Beatle writer, you know, author, and wrote so much on them, and the historian, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good ones, but he's uh, he's certainly on the Rushmore of the, the Merseyside, and it's, of course, uh, you know, always featuring the Beatles and the early Beatles, and he's an expert on uh, the Beatles in Hamburg, Man, I wish I had him for, for a longer period of time, and we'll get him somewhere along the line. But his latest is Bob Dylan, Outlaw Blues. I'd love to talk to him more about Dylan. I mean, Dylan is a, a mercurial guy. And, you know, what I was getting to there with him, you know, is is that evolution if you just keep, you know, jumping from one thing? I mean, Bob Dylan became born-again Christian, right? So he went from, you know, like a like complete outlaw uh, on religion to, to a born again Christian, and then you know switch back and forth uh, to different things. Uh, Dylan is an amazingly fascinating character. 
and uh, you know still with us at this point is still with us and uh, has uh, has has outlived a lot of folks expectations but uh, the the great bob dylan is one uh, one of a kind and there'll never be another one and the book is as good as it gets on capturing what he's about bob dylan outlaw blues is the name of it and spencer lee has been our very special guest. He's the author of this wonderful work. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.